This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert. Welcome to season six of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince and Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, joined again, once again, it's been a while, it has by been. my special Texas friend. He is the executive strategist for Salesforce Marketing Cloud. He hails from the great city of Austin, Texas, by way of Tennessee. He is the one, the only, Mr. Adam Brown. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. It's it's so great to hear your voice. You know, through the magic of uh, of audio podcasting, uh, we have seemed to be together every week for the past four weeks. But thanks goodness to recording technologies, we haven't. We we've been yeah, both on a little bit of a respite from the podcasting we world. We've had some amazing guests, though. Some of them we recorded before vacation, some of them in the middle of vacations, and we are keeping the party rolling this week. We I'm really excited about this show because our guest today is doing a bunch of interesting things on Snapchat, is doing a bunch of interesting things on Instagram, which I definitely want to talk about, and represents a brand that is very well known to big swaths of this country. He's got a lot on his plate and was recently promoted from social media editor to managing editor, which is proof that people in social media can actually get ahead. He is now the big cheese at Esquire.com. Please welcome managing editor Ben Boscovich. Hello, Ben. Hello, hello. Thanks for the uh, warm welcome there. Hey, man, and congratulations for the promotion. That's really great. Thanks very much. I appreciate that. I mean, I'm not kidding. And when I say that, to have sort of one of our own, a social media person now being the managing editor and running the whole thing, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, and I think it speaks to the role that social media has grown into in publishing. It's it's all important. Um, And, you know, we can get into that. But um, I was touching a whole lot of things because of my role in social media. And it was kind of a, a seamless evolution into, into the role I have now, which is, is kind of an interesting thing. Many years ago, it might not have been that way. And, and you were telling us off air that Esquire.com, the digital property, and Esquire Magazine, which is sort of where this all started, uh, are, are different business entities, different owners, different uh, P&Ls. Obviously, you've got some similar content and things like that, but, but you're, uh, you don't co-locate and you really run them separately. Can you talk about sort of what implications that has for how you think about um, your role? Yeah, it's it, it, what you said is true, but to be honest, it doesn't really change um, how I think about my role. Uh, both the people that work on the print product and those of us on the dot com side, we're here to represent the brand. Um, and you know, you guys know as well as anybody and anybody that works in in social specifically that brand and, and you know in advertising as well, um, which is where I came from. Uh, brand is the most important thing. So the the brand of Esquire reigns supreme over any, you know, 
business decisions or structures or any of that kind of stuff uh, that exists out there. So we're all working sort toward the same goal and uh, representing Esquire as a brand out there um, on the web and in print. Um, so that's that's kind of our thinking. You know, it's it's all about the brand. It's all about um, the Esquire lifestyle and the Esquire perspective. And whether you're reading that um, in the magazine every month or reading it in a tweet, um, it's all coming from the same place. On the magazine side, of course, they monetize that attention through print advertising, uh, through events, through subscription revenue. From your perspective, is the idea to use social to create engagement and that engagement eventually or consistently manifests in a visit back to Esquire.com where you've got advertising, uh, some native, some regular, and, and that's how this all sort of makes sense financially? Yeah. And, you know, our, our goal is to build loyal readership, obviously, and people that want to come back to Esquire.com yeah. and people that are glad that they are you know, liking our page on Facebook and following us on Instagram. Um, but we also are very and probably most interested in uh, new visitors and a new audience. Uh, so we're always trying to find yeah. new ways to uh, inject the Esquire brand into a new a new audience or a new group of people that are having a conversation about something that maybe traditionally Esquire hasn't spoken about, but um, can have a perspective on, you know, in 2017. Uh, For example, uh, you just did something on discover recently. I think it was about strange jobs. Is that what it was? Sort of unusual, unusual jobs that people might, might have. And and that was one of your Snapchat discover stories. Yeah, that's, that's our story actually. That's live right now. Um, We go live every Tuesday um, and it's a weekly uh, edition. Uh, they used to be called editions. Now they're Snapchat Discover Stories. Um, so our current story is uh, kind of a fun little feature on um, some of the strangest jobs out there in America. So we've got stuff like professional sleep expert uh, for one of the big hotels in New York and a professional dog food taster, stuff like that. Um, and that's, Is that person a person or a dog? It's a person. Someone's got to, I guess taste it and this per- I, maybe they think like a dog or they're a, they're a dog expert or something I, I don't really know but, um, but we try to we try to explain what that is in in 10 seconds essentially uh, on Snapchat and that's it's it's interesting you bring that one up because in terms of you know the advertising aspect of it that was a um, a story that actually was sold uh, to Pepsi uh, who owns the little double shot in a can you know that you yeah. see all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you scroll through that, you'll see in the ad placements that uh, Double Shot uh, has all the ad placements there. And that's it's kind of a cool, cool. And was that sold on your site or sold on the Snapchat site or together? Um, I think that it's a partnership. Um, I'm I kind of stick to the editorial portion of sure. it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm involved in the, the marketing part of it and sales in, in some way. And that, you know, they'll we, we'll build an editorial calendar of things that we think will be fun. and. Um, interesting to our, our readership, um, which is a challenge in and of itself because of how different the readership is on Snapchat. Um, yeah. On one end of the spectrum where the other end of the spectrum is probably the print magazine. Um, our Snapchat audience is, a, is 13 to mid-20s, um, which is very, very, very young and not traditionally the, the age of, pe- of people that are reading Esquire. So we're trying to come up with those ideas. Um, and then our, you know, our sales team also has that editorial calendar and is keeping that in mind when, when clients come through and, and when those goals, uh, when the client's goals and our editorial goals mesh perfectly, I mean, that's, that's harmony right there. And we, we got that with this jobs one, um, which is performing extremely well, um, both for us editorially and I think for the client as well. 
For those kind of discover stories, they're they're rich, right? It, there's a lot of storytelling and production value in those kind of pieces. From an editorial perspective, what what does that calendar look like? So, h- how long ago did you start conceptualizing and working on on that piece? Wow, it's been man, I don't even know now. We've probably done four to six months worth of editorial on the platform. Uh, the planning started a while back uh, in sort of like a pitch process where mm-hmm. you know we worked with Snapchat to kind of prove that we could be a brand of value on their platform um, because it, at the time and, and still, it's kind of an exclusive place for publishing to live. Um, so we kind of had to show that we're going to bring something different to the table. And the way that we did that was we kind of have a two-prong approach to editorial that is... I think really cool and kind of speaks to what Esquire is in 2017. Um, one side is probably what most people think about when they think about Esquire and that's long form journalism. Uh, so we were the first, if not one of the first, but I think the first brand on discover to reformat long form, you know, eight to 10,000 word stories into their platform, which is based on tiles that either are standalone 10 second experiences or experiences where you you see the 10 second uh animation and and information and then swipe up to read something um and the way that we do that is we break that really long story up excuse me into chapters um you know and a 5,000 word story becomes five chapters that are each have a thousand word attachments to them um, which was a risky move because, you know, when we think about a younger audience, uh, we have to assume that, you know, they want snackable information um, sure. in the age of social media. Everybody wants everything in one bite. Um, but to our surprise, this, this audience, uh, they were swiping up and they were reading and they were spending three minutes at a time reading each chapter, uh, which wow, is great. That's fascinating. Because that's engagement. Yeah. It's, it's not what we expected, but it was something that I thought would be a cool story to tell that, you know, Esquire is, uh, tapping into its roots and telling long form journalism stories uh, on Snapchat Discover, which didn't really exist at the time. Uh, and to our surprise, you know, it performed and, and it, it brought in a ton of new audience members. It, uh, we got a ton of engagement, a lot of time spent, new subscribers. Um, so that's, that's probably my favorite thing uh, about working on the, on the platform is that we're, we're, you know, paying homage to our roots as Esquire, um, but showing showcasing the brand in a, in a whole new way that it's never been shown before um, via the platform. And, you know, the constraints of the platform um, can be tough because of, you know, the 10 second limit or um, thinking that people aren't going to spend four minutes reading a story on their phone. Um, and that's surprisingly not the case. And that the other, the other side of the stone is um, sort of the more themed serviceable lifestyle oriented um, front of the book kind of stuff, if you will, uh, that we'll do. So we'll do a guide to fitness that performs really well, um, or the best burgers in America or the weirdest jobs in the country, uh, stuff like that. That sort of is, does, uh, scratch that snackable itch. Um, and those ones are, I think the ones that are more attractive to advertisers as well. Um, because you do then get into these situations where, uh, double shot and Esquire both have the same, kind of idea of how they want this experience to live yeah. and, and discover. And, and that's good for business for sure. One of the things that, that 
is particularly interesting about your social strategy from an ecosystem perspective is that you do very different things in each social platform. So we've talked about Snapchat. You've got a lot of content that you're creating for Snapchat per se, whether it's a reimagination of magazine content or Snapchat native content. What you do there is what you do there, and it isn't really related to anything you do in other places. Instagram, you've got a very, very active Instagram account. You're, you're seven or eight posts a day in many cases um, mm-hmm. that may be photos pulled from the magazine at, at some point or even the archives, but but they're not linking back to stories, things like that. Twitter, uh, alternatively, does have links back to content uh, on your site, as does Facebook in many cases. So in, in some circumstances, you're, you're actively specifically saying click here to get somebody back to the site. But in a lot of other cases, you're spending tremendous amount of time and energy in social content in a way that doesn't necessarily sell the click. And I find that fascinating. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really what that comes down to is the audience. Um, The audience is different on every platform. We have a Facebook audience, a Twitter audience, an Instagram audience, and a Snapchat audience that all are interested in different topics and taking different actions. Um, you know, starting with our Instagram audience, it's a, it's a little bit younger. It's a little bit more tapped into pop culture. Um, so probably most similar to our Snapchat audience. Um, but they also look to Esquire uh, as a lifestyle um, hero or a lifestyle, an aspirational lifestyle guide. Um, so what I want to do there is sort of, you know, Esquire has been around for 80 years um, and it's been kind of like the manual for men, um, and now men and women, um, you know, which we have a huge female audience, which, uh, excites me. And I'm, I'm so happy about because, you know, we're not necessarily just a men's magazine anymore. Um, but you know, I digress. Um, you know, they, they look to us for, to, we've, we've inspired a lifestyle for 80 years. Um, so I want our Instagram feed to sort of be a mood board for that lifestyle that we've been promoting all of these years. Um, and what does that mean now? That means a little bit of news about the things that people care about. Um, but in the form of photos, because Instagram's a visual medium and, you know, some of our sister brands here actually have had some major successes, uh, Cosmopolitan, L, Marie Claire, uh, Harper's Bazaar in, uh, driving traffic via Instagram. Um, for us, we found that our audience really is just more interested in, in beautiful imagery. Um, and you know, our sister sites have, the best of both worlds because their audience is interested in beautiful imagery and they'll click through if they tell them to, um, which I think is, is gold. Um, our audience, you know, they, unless it's big and breaking and we get it up on Instagram fast, uh, they're not really gonna, gonna click through. So I kind of hone in on, you know, the aesthetic. I try to keep a pretty consistent aesthetic on our feed. Um, I've run the Instagram feed since I started as a social media editor and, you know, since moving into the managing editor role, I kind of hung on to it because I feel like it's my baby. Um, and it's, it's ever evolving and we're trying to do new things with it. And even, um, you know, I've experimented in taking some of our, our front of the book stuff from the magazine that doesn't necessarily warrant, you know, a, a post on the website. Um, but, has enough words in it. Maybe it's like a 300 word write up in the front of the book about a watch um, that we can make that sort of its own little story on Instagram and have it live in that ecosystem. Um, on Facebook, it's a completely different audience. It's, it's much older um, politically, you know, they have uh, different views than maybe our Twitter audience does, which is an interesting thing. Um, but it's, it's sort of like, uh, I would 
say our Facebook audience is probably consists of more people that grew up reading the magazine and um, are more, they think of the magazine more when they think of the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, um, you know, the fa- Facebook's audience in general is a little bit older. So, you know, we get the residual effects of that. Um, not that we don't have young people, you know, we're, we're probably strongest in the, the 25 to 34 range, but that's, you know, that's pretty old for, for social media. Sure. Surprisingly. So I, I guess I fall into that old, old range at, at 28. Uh, <laughs> but you know, they, I, I agree about the aesthetic on Instagram, by the way, I, you know, when I was looking at your accounts, I, you know, right away, you can tell that it's very curated to, to have a particular vibe across the board it's it's really really well done i'm surprised though and a follow-up on this point i made earlier on the cadence you're doing seven or eight posts a day which is certainly more than we see from a lot of brands and it must be working for you have you always been that active on instagram or did you sort of say look if one a day is working well let's try two and if two is working well let's try three and if three is working well let's try six it's kind of interesting how that's evolved i mean instagram has an algorithm now um before it had an algorithm and everything was chronological, um, th- it was easy that you could post as much as possible and that was going to help you grow because just based on the chronological order, you were going to appear more times. And I felt at the time, as long as it was up to that standard that we were trying to, um, to adhere to, that it didn't matter how many times we posted. Um, since the algorithm happened um we met with we work with a company called dash hudson um who kind of helps us with our analytics and you know the the analysis of what's happening um on our page and they told us exactly what you said you know you guys are posting a lot more than your competitors even are um you know leaving out probably complex um who we consider you know one of our i guess competitors and um they post an awful lot um uh, definitely a lot more than we do um, but they said, you guys don't have to, to post that much um, anymore. So I kind of have dialed it back since then, which is helpful for my workflow. You know, if if six posts does as well as nine posts, then um, I'm going to go with six. There's no need to to force more out there. And then that gives us more content to spread throughout the week. Um, growth has definitely slowed since, since, since the algorithm, but we're still seeing really high engagement rates um, based on a relatively small audience at... 305,000 um, compared to some, some other lifestyle brands out there. Um, we have a little bit of a smaller audience, uh, but our engagement rate is, is high. Um, we have a loyal audience, which I value very much. Ben, what I'm fascinated by is, is how you're kind of articulating kind of the ROI on the social activities that you have. I think most of our social pros listeners kind of look at what, what they're doing and they're using content to drive interest in a product or a service. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, you know, on, on its first glance, you look at what you're doing with Esquire.com and you're using content to drive interest to other content, which of course is, is where your, your advertising revenue comes from. What I'm fascinated by, and I'm curious whether you know your 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 agencies and analytics firms and your internal activities like like the Dash Hudson that you mentioned, are able to kind of articulate. Okay, Ben, these activities are really helping us drive brand awareness in Esquire and the property, and of course Esquire.com um, itself. And then these activities are actually driving eyeballs to places where you have advertising. Do you look at things, Ben, through those two funnels, or is it all kind of one and the same? 
No, you're absolutely right. I mean, and that's what I was getting at in the difference in the audience uh, across platforms is that Facebook and Twitter are our traffic driving platforms that that's where we see from a social perspective, you know, leaving out uh, search and, and other referral traffic aside from a social standpoint, Facebook and Twitter are always going to be our traffic drivers um, and unique visitors on the site are what our advertisers and what we are interested in. So we're going to use those platforms to drive as much traffic as we can and pepper in the brand building stuff um, to help complement it. And because, you know, in the Facebook environment, sometimes it's not about getting people elsewhere. And in fact, Facebook probably, um, it, you know, it, Facebook rewards us when we keep people on the platform and um, go for engagement plays. But places like, you know, Snapchat's its own ecosystem. It, you're not linking out to anything else from there. So it just, it exists in and of itself. And sort of the same for Instagram for us, where there are mechanisms where we can take people elsewhere, but um, we're, we see the most benefit in keeping people there and keeping people engaged. Um, it's a different group of people everywhere. So we have to fulfill their needs as our readers. Um, you know, we, they're all readers. They're just in different places talking about different things. Um, everything that we do, I, I kind of think of Esquire and the brand as like this sphere, right? And everything that we do has to pierce through that sphere. Um, no matter where we're doing it or the conver or like what conversations we're trying to engage in, our tone and our perspective has to pierce through that Esquire brand. Um, so it really doesn't matter what they're talking about or where they're talking about. As long as the way that we're engaging is, is on brand, uh, I'm happy. One of the things you mentioned a little bit earlier was, and I wrote it down because I thought it was such a great quote, Ben. You, you said that the Esquire has, has been inspiring kind of lifestyle for 80 years. I mean, 80 years the Esquire brand has been around, primarily with the magazine, but obviously the, the success that you're having with, with Esquire.com. Now, there was another division of, of, of kind of the Esquire brand uh, that hasn't quite had the success that you had, and that was the, uh, the, the cable network that I know I think shut down end of, uh, end of uh, last month here in, here mm -hmm. in June. And I'm curious, you know, I, I was actually a big fan of that, especially some of the kind of first, uh, first shown original programming for that. And as I heard about that, even before I knew, Ben, that you were going to be on our show, I began to realize, you know, the whole world of cable and that content is changing. I wonder if because of the success of, of social, because of the success of, of sharing content, especially with younger viewers online, may have had a det detrimental effect to kind of traditional terrestrial cable. Any, any thoughts on, on kind of the shift of that same content, that same storytelling, but now, you know, the success that you're having with .com and social may have, may have actually impacted the other, the other brands. Yeah, you know, I, I can't really speak to the, the network because I really, uh, I don't know how that all went down that that, you know, ended up being Esquire Network. I think that's actually owned by not even Hearst. Um, I think NBC Universal owns that network. Um, yeah, I think it was a just, joint, a joint partnership. Might, I think. Yeah, they yeah. purchased the the branding to be able to do that. But you know, in general, in the you know, as far as content consumption goes, you definitely see um, traditional means of of viewer viewing something or watching uh, programming um, shifting to where the eyeballs are. Um, the same way that you know, Instagram was able to pop up and do a lot of the same things that Snapchat's doing um, and get away with it because, you know, 
Instagram existed a long time before Snapchat even existed. So they had the audience. That's where the people are. So they can do the same sorts of things and, and have great success um, because they have a huge user base. And I think that you'll see that with um, social networks in general and, and the rise of streaming services. It's, it's how do people want to consume it and where are they and how are they doing it? Um, and it's less and less through their cable box. So I think that's where, that's where that shift comes from. Yeah, I think you just articulated it. it's fish where the fish are. And mm-hmm. with cable cutters continuing to cut cable, people aren't necessarily going to cut cables to social, but it is that use of the right channel and the right social property. Like, like, like you're uh, investigating with Snapchat Discover. Uh, one question around Snapchat Discover and you know, certainly the, the revenue models for all the things that, that we do as social pros in social typically have most of the revenue going back to the social platform. You know, if Snapchat sells a pre-roll or a post-roll, Facebook sells a pre-roll, post-roll, or a pop-over, pop-under on your on your social content, Facebook is making that revenue. You being a content provider and a publisher, do you see that revenue model changing? That maybe in a year or two years, when you maybe went to Snapchat, like you did with the program with the double shot, uh, and coming up with a great perfectly matched content and advertiser, do you see them maybe looking at the revenue model of all this differently and actually having some revenue kind of going towards your organization, um, you know, in some sort of kind of profit sharing? Yeah. And that's, that's the way it works right now. Um, as far as, as far as I know, uh, like I said, uh, as <laughs> with a, with my journalist roots, I try to stay as connected to the, um, the, the content and the editorial side as I can. Um, but from what I understand, it is that it's exactly the situation we have going is that it is a revenue share um, opportunity. You know, they, they provide the space and we provide the goods and we, we reap the benefits together. It, it is, it's, it's a completely changing world, I think, in, in that regard too. Uh, ben, one last question before I hop it back over to, uh, to Jay for some important, speaking of the devil, advertising messages. Um, one of the things you, you, you talked about was kind of creating more snackable versions of, of content. And the surprise, and I'll say I was surprised as well at the idea that, you know, younger audiences were just as interested in that 10 second uh, Snapchat pop, but then the 4,000, you know, word story that appeared just behind it. Any other kind of interesting things that you're learning about younger audiences and, and content you know, thinking about our audience of social pros who are still also trying to find tricks and ways to position and package content so it's going to resonate the most with with their audience, whether they're selling B2B widgets or or they're selling, you know, new uh, tents and and uh, and, and uh, sleeping bags for for an outdoor outfitter. Yeah, I think what that really, what that comes down to is a tactical kind of thing where, you kind of have to pay, be paying attention to what are the vessels that people are using to share their voice on social? Um, and then how can you inject your brand identity into that vessel and, and deliver it um, through distribution channels, which I just used a whole lot of buzzwords. Um, but you know, an example would be memes, right? right. Yeah. Anywhere you go, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, websites, Anywhere that you can see content, um, you see memes. Um, and that could be video memes or um, little photos with the, the white uh, background and the black text over them. That's what you see everywhere. And that seems to be what the uh, younger audience is interested in. So, you know, my job 
as a uh, the voice of the brand um, and what you know other people's jobs um, are you know when they're you know selling tents or they own a grocery store or uh, you know mom and pop's um, candle shop you know they they have to find a way to f- to find the middle ground between their identity and that younger audience's identity um, without being like the old guy in the room with the band t-shirt on um, they you know you have to hey wait a second this is hitting a little a little, a little close to home now i've got my acdc shirt on right now are you are you talking to me joy division i don't know if you guys are, speaking of memes there's there's a meme out there we actually share it around in our our chat a lot that's uh steve buscemi i forget what it's from now but he's at a he's in a high school and he's clearly an older guy and he's wearing a shirt that says music band and the <laughs> caption is hello fellow kids um or hello there fellow kids um that's the thing that we want to avoid, right? Because, you know, as I said, even at 28, I'm, I'm not tapped in as much to what these 17, 18, 19-year-olds, young college kids, um, the language that they're using and the, the, the way that they're, you know, making these memes and sharing photos. And um, so I have to try to find a way to, to do it our way, which is a big challenge because we are an older brand. I think as I sit here, I'm staring at an old cover of Daniel Craig. Um, an Esquire cover and you, if you try to personify like what most people would think like all right wh- wh- how do you personify the brand of Esquire it's just it's a little bit of an older dude maybe in, like, yeah it's like a George George Clooney Daniel Craig kind of a thing yeah so do you want George Clooney talking about you know fidget spinners and stuff like that with the kids <laughs> maybe not really it he could probably sell him. a fidget spinner he probably well, he can sell socks. he's yeah. got new kids now too so he'll, he'll be learning all yeah, about yeah he's that. probably going to be the new target yeah, but you know it's, you it's important that, for us not to not to come across like you know the the adult in the room all the time in those yeah. kind of situations. But you know you're talking a lot about this idea of keeping the brand consistent, but reinterpreting the brand for each audience depending on their age and their perspective. And you're doing a great job of that. One thing I wanted to to bring up though is that Esquire, at least in print, has a fairly strong, long-standing viewpoint through a political prism. And how do you, how do you interpret, Hey, let me ask you two questions. One, does the relatively longstanding liberal bent of the magazine help or hurt you online or does it not matter? And do you feel some responsibility to support that in, in digital content? And then do you feel like sometimes people are treating you unfairly in social because they feel like, well, this is the magazine and, you know, 20 years ago I read this article I didn't like. And so, you know, I don't like you Esquire. We, you know, we kind of see eye to eye, uh, print and digital in that sense, which is a great thing because we don't have to, there aren't emails going back and forth between us saying like, oh, that's not, that's not how we feel or that's not how we feel. Yeah. It's, we're very much on the same page and, and trying to stay objective uh, through it all. But, you know, we're not the New York Times, so there isn't as much pressure for us to stay straight down the middle. Um, and, you know, it's no secret to anyone how our top uh, blogger um, and columnist Charlie Pierce feels about things, um, and we kind of we kind of follow suit with him. Uh, and he is this one of this country's greatest uh, political commentators, and um, he's one of the country's greatest writers. Period. Yeah. Period. Uh, it's it's been a real like journalistic pleasure of my life to get to share his his words with people. Essentially, yeah. and it's kind of interesting too because. Um, when I joined uh, a little under two years ago, Charlie had 
this enigma of the internet in his blog that he would post a new blog and without social distribution, it would, the traffic would shoot right up to the top of our site um, because people camp and sit on his blog waiting for what he has to say about the relevant news of the day, which was insane to me. Like I walk into this, I'm in this industry where, you know, nothing exists until it exists on social. Um, if you publish something that's on your homepage, only your very, very loyal audience that goes directly to your homepage is going to see that. So until it's promoted on Facebook and Twitter, nobody really knows about it. That was not the case with Charlie and his content. Um, and he also had inactive social presence. He had maybe 30,000 Twitter followers, but he wasn't tweeting that often. Um, you know, from time to time he would tweet, but not, not links to his articles. Um, and he didn't, we didn't have a Facebook page for him, you know, as our Esquire politics guy. And so that was one of the first things that I set up when I got here. Like we, this guy has the, the, the golden goose of the media industry and this loyal audience. Um, let's get his Twitter going again. Let's get a Facebook page up for him. Now he has a hundred thousand followers and his Facebook page drives as much traffic on a, a post, uh, from his blog as our main page does. Um, oh. with, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy how, you know, we have four times the amount of eyeballs in terms of followers, uh, on Twitter as he does, but he has that loyalty, uh, sure. that is personal connection. Yeah. yeah. So when he tweets something, it, it drives a lot more traffic than, than our initial tweet about it. Um, yep. and that's, that's, that's been really, really awesome to have. Um, that's a gift that I was given, uh, joining this, this team here. So I do want to recognize our sponsors in a second, but I want to ask you one more question because we're on this topic. So obviously you get to hang with Charlie Pearson and you're his editor for uh, digital content. You know, Esquire as a brand runs in pretty, pretty sweet company, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a high end brand with a lot of credibility and deservedly so. So what is your best celebrity hangout story? Oh, that's, that's a good question. I had to think about that. Um, I will say First, that I got I to show love to John Hendrickson and Jack Holmes, who run our politics section on the site, and they edit Charlie, and they're like his go-to. I just tweet his links. Um, <laughs> I, I have that luck. Those guys well played conversation, and I would I could never take credit for everything that they've done uh, over the past couple of years of me being here. Um, man, celebrity. Look celebrity how good he is as a manager now. See, give that guy a managing <laughs> editor title, like he's giving credit to other people. Man, it's all it's all working for you. I. One of my favorite things was um, probably hanging out. And this was this wasn't at Esquire. This was I was at Entertainment Weekly magazine before I came to Esquire, and I got a, actually a lot more access to celebrities there um, than I do here. Um, but I we used to go to Comic Con every year, which is coming up, I think, next week, and uh, we would just. Anybody who's anybody that was at Comic-Con was in our suite and in our studio. And that was probably my favorite thing is just getting to be up close and personal with all of them. And they, the EW suite at Comic-Con was a thing that, you know, celebrities felt safe there. They didn't felt like they weren't going to get bombarded by fans or, you know, yeah. other journalists. Like they were just like, you know, it was part of the team there. So it was all very casual. And I got to talk to everybody, everybody that was at Comic-Con. I, I, I like that a lot. Give me somebody who you thought was really, really cool in person that you thought maybe wouldn't be cool. Oh, that wouldn't be cool. Mike Tyson. Nice. <laughs> he came through the studio and I was terrified of him for obvious reasons. Um, I watched him bite a man's ear off when I was just a child. 
And uh, he, I walked up to him and asked <laughs> if to he have would, a lasting impact on your you know, feeling <laughs> wow. about somebody. Yeah, really. it's deep inside there. You don't forget that. Um, but he shook my hand, very firm handshake, obviously, um, but was very kind and agreed to do whatever we wanted to do, which is, you know, that's, that's, that's tough sometimes. Uh, these celebrities get shepherded through these events and they're like, kind of just like, do this, do that, do this. Um, and he was very gracious. Not, not everybody is, is so gracious. Ain't that the truth. Okay, so I already have the headline for this episode, which is what Mike Tyson taught the managing editor of Esquire.com about social media. <laughs> That's a oh, great yeah. headline. That's good. See yeah. how good that is? Yeah, I could, I could work for you someday. Yep. Uh, but only if I keep making money on these sponsorships, and thank God we can. This week, I want to acknowledge our friends at Salesforce Marketing Cloud who employ Mr. Adam Brown, the esteemed co-host of this program. New ebook from Salesforce that I'd love for you to take a look at. It's called More Than Marketing, Exploring the Five Roles of the New Marketing. I think we all know that uh, marketing's roles and responsibilities are growing and morphing inside organizations. So this new ebook is uh, detailed information about the five new essential marketing skills that we all need to have. There's some cool interviews in there, stories, even interactive features to help you get started with expanding your role in your organization. Go to C and C dot L Y slash new marketer. That's C and C dot ly slash new marketer for that one from our friends at salesforce also super excited to let you know brand new ebook from yours truly jay bayer called the three types of social media metrics and why they'll get you promoted how incredibly relevant is that for today's guest ben boscovich who was just <laughs> yeah, promoted to managing editor of esquire.com god it's like i planned that i didn't but i should have uh I'm really, really proud of this ebook. It's it's uh, the best thinking from my team at Convince the Converter myself on the state of social media metrics, things you need to pay attention to, things that are frankly crap you don't need to worry about. C and C dot L Y slash three social metrics. That's the number three. C and C dot L Y slash three social metrics. Brand new from me. Give it a download, won't you? I'd be so happy if you did. Adam, back to you. Jay, thank you. And uh, Ben Boscovich, managing editor of Esquire.com. It is so great to have you on the show. I was going to start this block out by asking you how and, and, and why you got promoted, but obviously it's because you, uh, you downloaded Jay's uh, new ebook. Um, but, <laughs> yep. but seriously, and I know, uh, and, and seriously, you've, you, you have an amazing job, managing editor of, of uh, Esquire.com. You, you, you said, I think, soon started at Esquire as, as a social media editor. You mentioned your experience at Entertainment Weekly and EW.com. Tell, tell us the story about how you got to this position and your trapes and trails through journalism, through digital, through marketing, and, and all of that. Sure. Um, well, it all started, um, I was a sophomore at a small school uh, called Slippery Rock University, an hour north of Pittsburgh, where I'm from. Yeah. And uh, I was a finance major. And I wanted to transfer to Penn State University. And Penn State didn't allow transfers into their business school. So I had to think of another way to get there because I had to be at Penn State. It was, it was where all my best friends were. It was where my girlfriend at the time was. Um, so I just wanted to be there. Um, and at the same time, I wasn't really feeling the finance thing and was getting A plus 100% in all of my writing classes. And I was like, why don't I actually do what I'm good at for a living instead of what I think is going to you know, have me rolling in the dough? Um, and so I, I started, I switched to uh, be a journalism major, and then I transferred to Penn State, where I got a journalism degree. I moved back to Pittsburgh and started working at a lifestyle magazine in Pittsburgh called Whirl Magazine as an editorial assistant. 
um, where I kind of learned the magazine business and uh, the content business, if you will. Um, and it was a very, it was a very interesting time in the publishing world where, you know, I was at a print magazine that used its website as a dumping ground for stuff that didn't fit in the book. Um, it really wasn't, there was no web editorial strategy at all. There was no web editor. There was no social media presence. It was kind of just like a magazine that had a website. Um, and as I started to see more of the national magazines start to use social and digital in a serious way, I thought I probably should start pursuing that side of the business. Um, because, you know, I have to, I got to give credit to my mom because she told me coming out of college that the only way that I was really going to ever succeed is if I never passed up an opportunity to learn something new. Um, and no matter what it was or how relevant it was that I, I felt relevant it was to what I was doing, um, I was going to at least learn it or give it a shot. Um, and so this was one of those no brainers in that situation where uh, I needed to learn the digital side of publishing and, and social media. And so I made a uh, a move that was scary, um, but ended up being beneficial to the long, in the long run to an advertising agency in Pittsburgh, um, where I worked on some regional clients, uh, running their social media and doing some PR at the same time, which I was awful at. Um, being a journalist and then going and doing PR um, is a thing that I will, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I did it, but it was very hard for me because I, I would be pitching things that I'm like, I know I wouldn't write about this if, you know, if I was on the other side. So it was kind of an existential crisis uh, in that realm. But you prefer to be on the receiving end of those, those yeah. calls from PR. Yeah, that was a lot easier for me. Um, but I was getting to do social media, which I really thrived in at the same time and coming up with social strategy for uh, brands like Quaker Steak and Lube, which is a, you know, regional wing. Good wings. Uh, restaurant. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty cool. And then I, I got to work on, um, bigger accounts like Hormel Foods had a brand or has a brand called House of Sang, um, which is like these uh, stir fry sauces that you use. And uh, we got to like come up with a big campaign and pitch them on a national level. And I kind of helped drive through the social media strategy for that. And so I learned how to promote content on social and uh, at the same time continued to consume content as like a news junkie and um, a social media junkie. And uh at some point, uh, my girlfriend and I both decided that we wanted to move to New York and it was, you know, it was where we both always wanted to be and we just had to do it. So we, we jumped in. She actually got a job, uh, before I did, I moved to New York without a job, but with a couple of really good contacts. Uh, one of them was a guy named Eric Gores, um, who had worked at Esquire pre previously actually, but he had been around at all the, the major publishing companies and had very good connections and, um, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know why he decided to stay in touch with me and entertain my emails and stuff, but he did. He's a great guy. I owe everything to him. And, um, he got a job at entertainment weekly doing, um, I think his d title was director of innovation. So he was just trying to do all kinds of new stuff, um, on the digital side with them. And one of those things was building their first ever real social media team. Um, EW didn't have a so, uh, they had a social presence that was huge and loyal, um, but it wasn't serviced um, with very, like in a dedicated way uh, where they had social media editors. So I did that um, for a while and I got to work with a guy named Chris Ratcliffe um, who taught me everything I know about the publishing side of social media and what our job is. Like our job is to drive traffic and it is to raise brand awareness and create a, a, a sense of loyalty from on the brand level. I didn't really understand that going into the publishing side of, of social. Um, 
I thought it was just to like get stuff out there and have people like it and comment on it. Um, so I learned everything there. And then one day saw an opening um, for the social media editor at Esquire, which, you know, when I was back at Whirl in Pittsburgh, all I wanted to do was work at Esquire. I wanted to work at Esquire magazine, maybe, you know, be the editor in chief someday. Who knows? Like I, I really wanted to work at Esquire on the magazine side. Little did I know I would end up getting an opportunity to something that I probably at that time never expected would even exist um, in being the social media editor for the website. Uh, and less than two years ago, um, I, got, I got the role here and it's, it's evolved obviously since then, but I, I kept thinking about what my mom told me way back when. Stop, don't ever uh, pass up an opportunity to learn something new. So I started taking on something else and something else, all of these things that were outside of the job description of social media editor. And uh, about in May, I was able to, to leverage that into, into this promotion and this role, that's, which I love and I'm excited to have. And I love the team that I work on or work with and, and the, the stories that we work on and, and our mission. It's, it's always, it's, it's been great. It's been a crazy ride that I d- couldn't have predicted any of it, but I'm, I'm where I always wanted to be. And super happy for you. That is an unbelievable story and congratulations for all your success. Can't wait to see where you take it next, Ben. Yeah, We're going to close this out. Mom. Yeah. Oh yeah. Your mom needs to be on the show. Yeah. Dope. <laughs> I'm going to ask you uh, the two questions we've asked every single one of our guests here across uh, six and a half years or whatever we've been doing the show. Uh, first question is, what one tip would you give somebody who's looking to become a social pro? Get involved in social. Like, be a Twitter junkie, be a Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat junkie. Understand what it's like to consume it on the other side, and you'll be that much better at being on this side of things. I'm I'm only good at social media because I've consumed it and I know how I consume it. And um, I can not only interpret how I would react to things, but I try to have a sense of empathy um, for how other people are going to react to things and always try to keep that in mind. But it starts with really knowing how to use it on the consumer side and being active. That's a good tip. And last question for you, Ben Boscovich, managing editor esquire.com if you could do a skype call with any living person who would it be and why maybe mike tyson skype call with (laughs) any living person oh my goodness um i'm gonna say barack obama because i think that he is just the the coolest dude uh and uh, was a great president and he seems like the kind of guy that um, could only show how cool he really was in a in a political role and i would love to Skype with him and just like talk about basketball. I love it. We'll see if we can work that out. Ben, thanks so much uh, for being on the show. Really appreciate your wisdom uh, and your time. Everybody spend some time of your own over on Esquire.com. Check him out on Instagram. Ben still manages that account himself. It's really good. Obviously, there's Snapchat uh, Discover Stories as well. Consume some of that content so Ben can get promoted again. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Jay. Really appreciate it, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Social Pros. We'll be back next week with more fantastic guests. If you haven't had a chance and you haven't for a while, pop on over to iTunes or whatever. Leave us a review. We'd sure be happy about that. If you don't subscribe to the show, please do that. Uh, Also consider our sister show, Content Pros, at contentpros.com. I'm Jay Baer. He's Adam Brown, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. 
Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext, and is produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com.